Hello there. Good afternoon. My name is Brett McGarry. I am Greg Mackling. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. I don't know if you were at or watched the Jets game yesterday afternoon. That was like a tale of three different hockey games yesterday. The Jets lead 4-0. Minnesota comes back in about a 10-minute stretch, ties it at 4. And then the Jets managed to win 5-4. It was... Was that all in the third period? No, just throughout the game. Jets were 2-0 after one. They went up 4-0 about six minutes into the second period. And then Minnesota just clamored back, tied things up. There were a ton of people from Minnesota up this weekend. I don't know if maybe Jets tickets are becoming a little bit easier to get, but it was kind of neat because I've been down to Minnesota for a few games and the back and forth between the fans, the Jets fans and the Wild fans, very entertaining down there. We've yet to sort of see that develop here in Winnipeg. It was really great to see that yesterday. A little bit of every time they would chant, let's go wild, you'd get a go Jets go and a back and forth, kind of a collegial feel. So that was kind of neat to see that yesterday develop as, you know, uh, I guess it is tickets becoming available. We might see larger contingents of fans of other teams show up. Although, you know, when Montreal's here, they don't seem to have any difficulty getting tickets, <laughs> the Canadians fans. Anyway, it's kind of a neat day yesterday. Crazy roller coaster ride. Just wanted to point out, talk to a couple of the Minnesota fans, and uh, of course they're going to be polite, but they said they had a really great time here in Winnipeg over the weekend, so that was kind of neat to see. Were they all young fans? No, a variety of ages. I asked because I was wondering if maybe it was a spring break sort of situation. Ah, okay. Because they used to come up here en masse from North Dakota and Minnesota. Really good point, of course. I remember those good old days. Yeah, they'd come up here because the... Uh, drinking age down the there? drinking age. Yeah, of yeah, course. So that's what I wonder, <laughs> is it all 18, 19-year-olds, or was it a, a mixed bag? So Yeah, it was kind of a mixed bag, but there were some... Uh, I did see a group of young guys celebrating a birthday. I hadn't put the... Boy, I'm out of the loop, eh? I hadn't even thought about the, the 21 thing, because that, that was a big deal back when we were... You know, out of high school or in university, that was a big thing when a bunch of people would come up from Minnesota and North Dakota yeah, for I, the weekend. I remember getting into it with uh, a girl from Minnesota. She, I says, pardon? Well, no, we were just chatting. We were just chatting <laughs> oh, at the oh, bar. Oh, not, oh. Not, nothing. I meant getting hey. into it like a... Like a, a, like a wow. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, an enthusiastic discussion. Okay. Because she was remarking on our accent... And this is while she's saying, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, okay, you are telling me, you're mocking me for my quote-unquote accent. Was but she you're mocking saying, you? Yeah, it was, oh, it, it was okay. a, a sort of a mocking. So I actually said to her, what, what is that word you just said? Tamara. Like, how do you spell that? Spell it. How do you say those last three words? And she said, row. But then when she said tomorrow, it became Tamara. So... <laughs> Anyway. It's fascinating, the fact that we live two hours apart and the words that we say differently, the traditions that we have are so markedly different. Mm-hmm. It's uh, fascinating to me. So did uh, your your back and forth turn into anything romantic, Brett? Uh, that's where I think the conversation will end. I like that. Subject. Very good. Excellent. Uh, okay, I'll have to get that answer to that question off the air. What happened to the vacuum of truth that was is the microphone? Is it off today? I don't think it would be very gentlemanly. Okay, well, very good. Hey, uh, speaking of gentlemanly, this is a conversation that I think dudes need to have, and Jeff Courier highlighted that fact. He endorsed uh, the work 
of Billy Baker in the Boston Globe and suggested, you know what, if you're of a certain age and if you're a millennial, think about this article. The headline is this, the biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity, it's loneliness. As men grow older, they tend to let their friendships lapse, but there's still time to do something about it. And there's research that's showing this is detrimental to our health. Yeah, Billy Baker has written a really, really nice piece. Well, we hear it all the time from Carolyn Klassen. Comes in Thursdays, our therapist with Connexus Counseling, saying we are wired for connection. And this article really points it out. Uh, do you want me to read a couple of lines think before you we play the audio? Most okay, certainly. so this is from Billy Baker, Boston Globe. Let's start with the moment I realized I was already a loser, which was just after I was more or less told that I was destined to become one. I'd been summoned to an editor's office at the Globe magazine with the old, we have a story we think you'd be perfect for. This is how editors talk when they're about to con you into doing something you don't want to do. Which, as a side note, I can attest to that. Our bosses like to say that to us. You guys are great storytellers. This would be good for you. (laughs) I think I was at that meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Back to Billy Baker's article. Here is the pitch. We want you to write about how middle-aged men have no friends. Excuse me? I have plenty of friends. Are you calling me a loser? You are. The editor told me there was all sorts of evidence out there about how men, as they age, let their close friendships lapse, and that that fact can cause all sorts of problems and have a terrible impact on their health. I told the editor I'd think about it. This is how reporters talk when they're trying to get out of something they don't want to do. (laughs) Which I can... Also attest to. Yeah, I can attest to that. As I walked back to my desk in the newsroom, a distance of maybe 100 yards, I quickly took stock of my life to try to prove to myself that I was not, in fact, perfect for this story. I'll just read one more. First of all, there was my buddy Mark. We went to high school together, and I still talk to him all the time. We hang out all the t- Wait, how, how often do we actually hang out? Maybe four or five times a year? Then there was my other best friend from high school, Rory, and... I genuinely could not remember the last time I'd seen him. Mm-hmm. Had it already been a year? Entirely possible. Mm-hmm. So it goes on from there. Well, our friend Ryan Jesperson at 630 Chad in Edmonton caught up with Billy Baker. And here's some of that conversation. In fact, uh, Baker talks a little bit about how he got conned into doing this and why he decided to do it after all. And then he goes on to tell us about the response that he's gotten to this article. Billy Baker joining us on the phone from Boston, Massachusetts this morning. Billy, thanks for that. Thanks for having me. You you got tapped on the shoulder to write this thing, and you went, oh, man. Exactly. I get called into an editor's office, and they said, we've got a perfect story for you. We want, it, want you to write about how middle-aged men have no friends and they're lonely. <laughs> like, and why do you think I'm perfect for it? And in the process of sort of trying to justify that uh, I'm not that guy, I came to realize, sadly, what a lot of guys do if they stop and think, which is that, you know, these people I think of as my great friends, I just don't see them anymore because of job and family and and all these other things that kind of invade your life as part of middle-age responsibility. And I, so I took on the story and I had to kind of raise my hand and say, yep, I'm a little bit of a loser. And, uh, And yeah, what was scary about it was as I started 
you know, peeking into what that means, looking at studies, talking to experts, it was one of these things that it's the lowest of low-hanging fruit on the things that will make us happy and healthy, uh, our friends, and yet it's easy to let it slide. And when you look at what that actually does for your health, it's staggering. I mean, it just simply makes you more likely to die if you're not, if guys are not spending time with their guy friends. And in just a second, I'll ask you to get into some of the specific statistics. I was shocked when I read what you found out of Brigham Young University. But you tell us in your piece, uh, and people can find it, it was in the Boston Globe uh, and, and Boston Globe magazine, right? You, 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 you tell us that you turned 40 in May. I'm about to turn 40 next month, Billy, in April. And we know okay. from, from, from our, our, our listener, our demographic feedback that we receive, this listening audience, you've got a whole bunch of us in the same boat. So so we're, we're viewing this, and I'll be honest, I have completely selfish reasons for bringing you on the show. I mean, I'm, I'm, this is, I'm looking for sage advice here. But how seriously do we have to take our friendships? Because it's easy to put them on the back burner with so many other draws. It's just, I mean, you know, so I think I'm very typical, you know? I mean, I... I, I spent all my time with the boys in my, you know, teens and 20s, and then I met a girl and started transitioning into, you know, family life, having kids, and I saw the boys less and less because they were also getting married and having children, and now I'm 40 and looking at, you know, essentially the beginning of middle age, and when I sort of opened my life up to experts for analysis, it was this idea that, yeah, you're setting off on a very predictable path. But that path, you're going to be surprised to learn, is incredibly dangerous for you. It's uh, Not having friends is, is, is one of the most dangerous things you can do. And it's not that I don't have friends. We all have friends. But it's like, what, what, how meaningful are they? Are they the people you work with? Are they the people you see at the gym? I mean, the, you know, it, it's a matter of just prioritizing. And, you know, as a guy trying to be a good dad, I don't want to stiff my kids and disappear every weekend with the boys, but at the same time, I kind of need it. You know, it's 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 not a very masculine thing to do to raise your hand and say, I, I kind of miss my fellas and I, I need some guy love in my life, but uh, I've had to do it, and the response has been, I, I can't, I mean, I've been a journalist for like 20 years, and I've never written an article that has triggered more of a response than this. I've just got I can't keep up with my email from guys saying, wow, this, I feel like you crawled into my brain, and now this was a wake-up call. And I'm also hearing from a lot of guys on the other end of middle age saying, I wish I'd read this article 20 years ago because now I'm, you know, my kids are gone, I'm an empty nester, and I'm sitting around watching Law & Order all day. If you'd like a copy of the article, you can just Google it or send us an email, brett at cgob.com, gmac at cgob.com, and it gives you the details and an intimate look at some of the research. And, Brett, maybe you could share with us uh, about the research of Dr. Jacqueline Olds and Richard Schwartz, who spoke with, uh, with Mr. Baker and shared with him how big a risk this is to your health, because we've already got one text message. Someone maybe is impatient to learn uh, the facts here. How does this kill men? You know what? We will get into that momentarily. We're going to pause, get to your forecast. You can send us your thoughts on text 204-780-6868, or you can call at 204-780-6868. We're talking about loneliness. The biggest threat facing middle-aged men is not smoking or obesity. It is loneliness. Your forecast, up next. It's an anti-Chinook. 
We're going to go from plus 6 to minus 17 overnight tonight. 23 degree difference. We're talking about loneliness and how it is detrimental to men's health. This is an article. It's uh, catching fire right across North America by Billy Baker of the Boston Globe. And some of the research included in this article is fascinating, Brett. The headline for the article, if you want to look it up, is the biggest threat facing middle-aged men is not smoking or obesity, it's loneliness. There's a line in here regarding the Surgeon General of the United States who has said many times in recent years, the most prevalent health issue in the country is not cancer or heart disease or obesity, it is isolation. And then just skipping ahead here, as he was looking into this story that was assigned to him, someone says to him, quote, you should use this story suggestion as a call to do something about it, mm-hmm. as he realized that his the number of close friends he had was dwindling. That quote came from Dr. Richard S. Schwartz, a Cambridge psychiatrist, and Billy Baker, and I'll, I'll, I'll quote the article now, and I had reached out to him because he and his wife, Dr. Jacqueline Olds, literally wrote the book on this topic, The Lonely American Drifting Apart in the 21st Century. He agreed that my story was very typical. When people with children become overscheduled, they don't shortchange their children, they shortchange their friendships. And the public health dangers of that are incredibly clear, he says. Beginning in the 1980s, Schwartz says study after study started showing that those who were more socially isolated were very much more likely to die during a given period than their socially connected neighbors. Even after you corrected for age, gender, and lifestyle choices like exercising and eating right, loneliness has been linked to an increased risk of cardiovascular disease and stroke and the progression of Alzheimer's. One study found that it can be as much of a long-term risk factor as smoking. And when you look at, in the United States, nearly a third of people older than 65 live alone. By age 85, that has jumped to about half. Add all this up, and you can see why the Surgeon General is declaring loneliness to be a public health epidemic. Based on the text messages we're getting at 7806868, this is resonating with many of you. We will get that article to everyone who asks. I know you've emailed it at least once already, Brett, and we'll, we'll endeavor to get those to you as quickly as possible over the break. In fact, we will get those uh, to you, 7806868, or just email Brett or myself, gmac at cjob.com or brett at cjob.com. We'll get you this incredibly important article, but we'd love to hear your experiences, why you're concerned, and and maybe if you have some suggestions as to what we can do about this. Maybe you've been down this road and had the realization, gee whiz, you know, I need to do something about this. Or maybe your partner tapped you on the shoulder and said, you know what? I read this article or I've heard this, I've heard that. You need to spend more time with your friends. You need to be closer with your friends. And I think the Example that you gave, Brett, about being wired for connection, as Carolyn Clausen says when she joins us on Thursday, holds true. Kyle Milroy made a joke in our newsroom when we told him we were going to be talking about this, and he said, you know, a friend will help you move. A real friend helps you move a body. (laughs) And, and, you know, it is very macabre, but you also realize that there are a lot of secrets, right? A lot of stories that would be attached with you know, going down that road with a group of buddies. Yeah. And I think that's more the point 
is the idea that you would then have this shared secret and how many of us trust our 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 buddies with our secrets mm-hmm. and i think it's a huge first step for people and for men to realize and to acknowledge hey that this might actually be a problem in general for men and then to come and say you know what it might be a problem for me let's talk it out that's what we're here for Greg and Brett, give us a call, 780-6868. Keep those text messages coming. But as we always say, we love to hear it in your voice as well. And if you'd like that article, reach out by email. We will get it to you ASAP. And I'm glad that you found this because I like Billy Baker. I am turning 40 this year. and But unlike Billy, I don't have, I'm single, don't have any kids. I don't even have a pet, uh, partly because I can't, I'm not, allowed, not supposed to have pets in my apartment and I'm allergic to cats anyway, but so probably better off not getting one, but it's just me. And sometimes it like, I like being on my own, but there are times where it, it actually can, the loneliness can get, can be crushing. So I, I do my best to maintain the friendships and make sure that those connections remain because I don't want to end up waking up one day and realizing where have all my friends gone? That pattern starts really early for men as well. Uh, when you start dating at late teens, early 20s, mm-hmm. how often are we guilty of neglecting our guy friends? Yep. Uh, many of those that might have been in relationships with us over the years might suggest that it was the exact opposite, that we're spending too much time with our friends. Uh, the truth of the matter is most guys, uh, once they're in a relationship, they kind of tune their their buddies out. That's true. A lot of guys disappear. That's right. And you don't hear from them again. Oh, you must have broken up with (laughs) so-and-so. Right? That's exactly it. You finally broke up with her. Now you're giving me a call. Let's talk this out. 780-6868. It's kind of a guy's talk, but ladies, please feel free to give us a shout, your observations, and uh, maybe your concerns and solutions uh, for for your partners, for your brothers, for your your husbands, for your partners. We'd love to hear from you. 780-6868. He's Brett, I'm Greg. Global News is next. 134, Brett McGarry and Greg Mackling with you on this Monday afternoon. And we thought it would be apropos to talk about this after a weekend, a weekend which you may have spent with your buddies or maybe a weekend that you lamented the fact that you don't have any buddies to spend with. This on the heels of an article by Billy Baker, the Boston Globe. Pardon me, the biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity, it's loneliness. That article is chock full of research that proves, and we seem to have known this for a long time, Brett, that Loneliness increases your risk factors for cardiovascular disease as well as Alzheimer's disease. You're going to be living alone. If you live long, you're going to be living alone at some point. And the fact that we don't have those special and close relationships as men is detrimental to our health. And this seems to be resonating with a lot of our listeners. We are getting a number of text messages, and you are welcome to call at 204-780-6868. It is the number to call if you have some thoughts on this, because, I mean, let's face it, you know, a lot of a lot of guys our age, I'm, I'm turning 40 this year, just like the author of this article. I am sort of an anomaly in the sense that I, I, I'm not a family man. I don't, I'm, I'm single, I don't have any kids, but a lot of guys in this age group have young families, and they simply don't have time for friends. Maybe they can sneak in a golf game on a Friday night or something in the middle of summer when it's there's it's, you can do the twilight golf, but uh, it's often like I there, I have friends 
with kids and it's and I'm always asking them, you want to do hey, you can you do this? Can you do this? No, no. And it's not that's not a complaint on my part. Right. If it's just that's life, right? That's life. Yep. With a family. 100%. There are priorities. No, that's that's true. And uh as much as I wouldn't trade my lifestyle and and the life that I have with my kids and being married, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to be single. I wouldn't trade that in, but it would be great to have a little bit more balance. And uh, I, this isn't about me in any way, shape, or form, but, to, you know, to share, and, and Brett, you've done a great job of sharing. You know, my two best friends uh, live provinces away. I have good friends within the city, but I had an experience that reflects with the Listener Dave, who sent us a text message. It's so true. I'm 53, and I used to have tons of friends in my teens up to my late 20s. Now, at 53, I have trouble finding someone to go to Jets games with. And I found myself in that same situation a couple of different times this year, where the person I was supposed to go to a hockey game with last minute had to cancel or whatever. And I'm scrolling through, you know, my contact lists or whatever. And I can remember one night asking you to go to the game. You weren't available, what have you. And the I'd number be, I'd of, be bad company at a hockey game. Well, no, cause I could teach you, <laughs> uh, but the, the, the realization for me was I had very few people that I would consider at the last minute saying, hey, you want to go to the Jets game with me? Mm-hmm. With any amount of comfort that they would be in any position to say yes. Because mm. most of my friends are in the same life station as I am. And I don't like to put people out. I don't want people to feel obligated to come. But it got me realizing that maybe I'm in a situation where for as many friends as I have, I don't have any really necessarily good friends that I share my secrets with. And Carolyn has told us, Dr. Cyrus has told us that you need someone to bounce these things on, to share your deepest thoughts with, because to hold them in is not healthy. And that's got to be part of this as well. If you don't have someone to bounce your ideas, your thoughts, your fears, your concerns, your deepest, darkest secrets with, you're holding them in. That's a lot of weight to carry around psychologically. Yeah, yeah, you need to have somebody outside of your family. And we have John on the phone at 204-780-6868. Hello, John. What do you have to say? Well, I've got to start by telling you that I, uh, I've i been a single guy my entire life. I, uh, I'm i into my 60s now. And, uh, you know, it's not as bleak a picture as you're painting it to be. Well, well. First of all, John, we're not. No one's trying to paint a bleak picture. It's just they, we're we're pointing out that there is an increased risk to your health uh, if you feel isolated. Now, we're not saying that. Well, you know. Well, let me. Let's let you tell your story, John. Why do you think it's not as not so bleak? You know, I think it has a lot to do with what your interests are in life, and if you're going, if a person is going to be. Uh, lonely and alone and sit in the room by him or herself well yeah clearly there's going to be some issues that develop but if you've got interests in life that uh, keep you thinking and keep you active and keep you uh, occupied then this is not uh, not such a big deal when I started out earlier in life uh, I had a couple of friends that uh, we were pretty close buds and one day uh, 
One of them got uh, engaged, uh, disappeared, never saw him again. Now, at that time, we understood the, if I can use the term, attraction that kept him uh, away from the boys. <laughs> but uh, in the in the scheme of things, you know, once someone becomes focused on a mission, you know, uh, and gets... Um, shall we say, uh, led in a certain direction, then, yeah, you know, men understand why they become second place, and that's okay. Over the years, as my friends have gotten married, some have stayed in touch, some have not. I had a chance to talk to my dad. He's 93. I had a chance to talk to my dad. I said, you know, Dad, sometimes I wonder whether or not I should have gotten married. Hmm. I just never seemed to find the right woman, and his response to me was, Son, do you have any idea how many guys would trade with you in a heartbeat? The freedom that you have, you don't have somebody telling you what to do or arguing with you. You don't have to worry about so many things under the guise of parenthood. And then I realized, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe I'm much better off than people would like to think I am. John, do you because you are have been single for your entire life, do you do people ever look at you with almost like sad eyes, like, oh poor John? Yeah, that started um that started uh, back in I guess my thirties and forties, you know, if if we could only help him find the right person, find the right partner, you know, so that he could truly be happy. Now meanwhile you know, I, I've summed it up by saying I can do what I want, when I want, where I want. I can spend as much as I want or as little. If I want to travel, I can travel for extended periods uh, without having to worry about schools or jobs or what somebody else is going to going to have to uh, insist or demand on. And it's a sense of freedom that's actually quite liberating. All right, John. Hey, thank you so much for the call. We do appreciate it at 204-780-6868. And just so we're clear, John, we're not trying to paint a bleak picture. It's an article where it's, it's, a, it's a threat. Loneliness is threatening people's lives and people's health. And it's, I think it's meant to be a call to action. It sounds like you have already harnessed that and you have nothing to worry about. But for a lot of guys who get to their 40s, they realize, oh, man, I don't really... I've kind of let all my friendships die. Just got a text right now, Brett. I work away from my family for 30 days at a time. I feel guilty to leave my family the time that I am home. I carry a lot of stress on my shoulders because I feel my friends losing touch with me, and I don't blame them. But you feel torn between family and friends. Very hard to talk about with my wife. No name attached to that text, but that um, that's hitting me right here, right just left of the sternum, because uh, I think there's a lot of dudes out there who feel that way. They might not exactly know how to articulate how they're feeling. They might not feel comfortable going to their wife or their partner and saying, hey, I maybe need uh, some more time. Maybe this article is something that you could sit down and, and read with your wife, with your partner, and say, uh, I think I'm one of these guys. Just an idea, just a thought. I'm going to tweet out 
that article during our next break here, just before we lead up to weather here. You can uh, get that. I'm on Twitter at GMAC, G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G, GMAC Winnipeg, and I'll tweet out that article. We've also offered to uh, email it to you. Just send us an email, brett at cgob.com and greg at, or uh, GMAC, pardon me, at cgob.com or Greg Mackling at cgob.com. Uh, I think we both feel it's a really important issue, Brett. We're going to pause the conversation and we see we have Dave on the line. Dave, hang in there. We'll get to your call after your forecast. And we also just got a wonderful text from Jan. As we said, pointed out earlier, this is clearly an article that is aimed at men. But if you are a woman and want to weigh in, we would invite your thoughts as well. And we will get to Jan's text message after your forecast on 680 CJOB. I'm Brett. He is Greg. The headline from the Boston Globe, the biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity, it's loneliness. As men grow older, they tend to let their friendships lapse, but there's still time to do something about it. This is written by someone named Billy Baker, who says he has never had in his whole career reaction like this to this article, and... It's We spoke to John, who said that we were trying to paint a bleak picture. We're not. We're just saying, I think this is something a lot of guys probably go through because they get overwhelmed with life. You know, they're married, they've got kids, they've got a job, they're just trying to keep the household afloat. And, wow, they I don't remember the last time I saw my friends. And it just happens. It's normal life, and it's a danger because you need to have those connections outside of your household. Dave has been waiting patiently at 204-780-6868. Hey, Dave, what do you have to say about this? Uh, <clears throat> oh, I'm disqualifying. 77 years of age. Uh, I was married for 14 years, and I've been single ever since. I had uh, female relations with uh, since that time uh, as partners. Uh, but I, uh, I concentrated mainly on my children. They were my support systems up to a certain age, and then uh, after that, I got involved in uh, service groups. I got involved in, like, Rotary and Lions and uh, different stuff like that. And uh, I'm not lonely, but I do have periods of loneliness. And I can understand what it's all about. And uh, as I say, I'm 77, and uh, I've been single 40 years. Wow, it's a long time, Dave, and good on you for uh, giving back the way you do. Those service clubs, they do incredible work in our community, and I know so many that are involved, so I tip my hat to you, even though I'm not wearing one right now, Dave, but, uh, you know, uh, metaphorically speaking. Uh, so what what has been, you, you say that you're not necessarily lonely, but you feel periods and, and sense of loneliness at times. Uh, what, do, what do you do in those times? Do you pick up a phone? Do you, do you make sure that you get busy? What do you do to deal with that well uh fortunately i've uh, worked right up to t- two years ago till i was 75 and uh, of course you get involved in your job and uh you use that as a support system as well and the people that you associate with in on that job but in the last couple of years uh, as i say i just get involved in various uh charities uh you know winter games at pan am games and you know, you just, you got to get off your butt and get out and do something. I mean, you don't sit around and sulk. But as I say, and I have a dog, and I think that's so important. I've always had dogs. And, mm. uh, 
And they're good to talk to because they don't talk back. So. <laughs> Dave, we really appreciate you taking some time uh, to share your experience with us. And uh, the dog, the dog strategy is a good one. Dogs yeah. are good, but they don't they don't talk back, and that is is a good thing. But it's also a bad thing because then you're not getting any feedback. You can you can uh, talk to your dog all day long, but you're not really uh, generating too many solutions necessarily about your issues. Uh, great calls uh, and great text messages, and I know there was one in particular you wanted to read here, Brett. This is from Jan, who texted us at seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight, and she says. I'm not a man, but I'm a single female in my late 30s, and I can 100% relate. I love the friends I have, but when they are, for the most part, married with kids, it can be very isolating. For the most part, I'm happy and fine being on my own. I do my thing, but sometimes it does hit you. There are definitely times, like Christmas, that you get the pity looks from people. Jan, I want to thank you for this because I um, very, I, I could have written most of that text message. I, I, because I'm single, I'm almost, as I pointed out, I'm almost 40 years old. It, it just, it's, I think it's human nature. I don't know if, if, if it's human nature, but your friends, they have the best intentions and they say things like, well, we got to find someone for you. Mm-hmm. We want you. Well, why? Well, we just want you to be happy. Well, who says I'm unhappy right now? I mean, yeah, I've been single for four years and sure it gets lonely sometimes, but because I have tried to harvest and nurture my friendships, I may be lonely sometimes, but I don't feel like I'm ever alone. And uh, so I don't, I don't think that I need someone. So I, they, when I get those kind of pity looks, oh, poor little Brett, we need to find Brett a, we need a, he's a, like a wounded puppy. That's what I feel like when people are saying those things to me. Sure. Even though it's it's from a place of goodness. And right. They care. I I just, I, I don't. Well, you know, that a lot of that comes out of social construct, right? Yeah. Because if you're not with someone, if you don't have a partner or wife or husband, whatever the situation may be, or a girlfriend or boyfriend, uh, the automatically when you're single, the next step is to become an in a relationship of some sort. And then, of course, once you've been in that relationship for a certain amount of time, the questions change. The intimations change, right? So are you getting engaged anytime soon? <laughs> and then, of course, once you get engaged, so when's the wedding? And then once the wedding takes place, the questions become, when are you having children? And then when you have one, they want to know if you're having more. Nobody ever asks you, so when are you getting divorced? <laughs> I I will admit I will fully accept guilt admit guilt I have asked those questions of my friends in the past and I try to avoid that kind of thing now like oh so you getting married because it's uh, a lot of times I think it's a, it's just one of those lazy questions that we ask our friends and I'm trying to be a better friend than not just ask this the the easy question well and I think I think you're right it is the easy question um, Shell gets it. Uh, and Shell, I apologize. I don't know if you're male or female. Uh, divorce gets you lonely like me. It's hard. You know, one of my one of my best buddies, who I I end up spending as much time as I can with, uh, his life is incredibly busy. Uh, we were talking about the whole dating thing, and and we open up to each other on a lot of stuff. And I'm going to keep his name out of it. I don't want to embarrass him in any way. But he said to me one day, we were talking, he's doing the dating thing a little bit, and he said to me about six, seven weeks ago, he said, you know what, Greg, I haven't had a hug 
in about two years. From anybody? Well, I think he meant from a member of the opposite sex. Okay. And I could hear the sadness in his voice. You know, really all I want is a hug. And I'm like, oh, dude, you're killing me. But when you think about that and you think about how those of us that have, you know, hugs readily available, you know, I get some from my kids all the time. Jackie even hugs me once in a while. (laughs) You take it for granted, right? And this is the sort of thing, this article is something that really highlights the fact that there is another issue there and that that this can be detrimental to your health. I think we should carry on the discussion into the next uh, part of our next hour. What do you think? I think so, too. We do need to pause for Global News at 2 o'clock on 680 CJOB. 206 on this Monday afternoon. Thank you for your responses, your texts, your emails, your phone calls. We'd like more phone calls, not because we're not begging for phone calls. We just love your stories in your own voice and so many of you have taken a tremendous amount of time to text out and to type out your messages and your emails here. I'd love to hear you in your own voice. We're going to spend a, a, an extra segment on this here. Christian Amel has been monitoring things at the Manitoba legislature. There are some new bills being tabled by the provincial government as it pertains to uh, the budget and uh, also in terms of wages for uh, the public service. And we want to get that to you as soon as possible. But this has turned into a discussion that many of you are participating in and we don't want to walk away from it at this point in time, Brett. Article from Billy Baker with the Boston Globe. The headline is, The biggest threat facing middle-aged men is not smoking or obesity, it's loneliness. As men grow older, they tend to let their friendships lapse, but there's still time to do something about it. Just some context on Billy. He's 39 years old, he's a married man, he has children, and he was... The story was pitched his way from his management, and as he started to think about it, he realized, oh, you know what? I have let my friendships lapse, and he looked into it, and there's research, there's proof. The Surgeon General of the United States has said many times in recent years, the most prevalent health issue in the United States is not cancer or heart disease or obesity, it is isolation. Sophie is at 204-780-6868. Hello there, Sophie. What would you like to say? Yes, hello, thank you. Um, I uh, often pick up this uh, Senior Scope magazine, which is around different locations around Winnipeg, and I noticed at the back of the magazine that there's a, I guess an organization called Men's Sheds, Manitoba Incorporated. It says here, peer-run program by men for men. And there's a gentleman's name called Doug, and the phone number is 204-832-0629 or 804-5165. And there was a little write-up about it a couple months back, and I guess they do all kinds of different activities for guys to get with other guys. So I just thought I'd forward that to you. Thank you so much, Sophie. We appreciate that. I know we had a a guest uh, several months ago about a club, a singles club in Winnipeg that's been going on for years, and the incredible number of activities that they do throughout the course of the year is uh, almost incalculable. We'll uh, take a look at that and we'll uh, get some more information for you as well. Hey guys, this comes from Joe. Uh, Sent me an email, gmac at cgob.com. My wife and I live among several single people of varying ages and stages of life. I've had several chances to talk to them over the years about why they are single. They all have different answers as to why they are single. The one thing they all have in common is they often wonder what life would have been like 
if they had had a family to share their life with. I once made a comment that I wish I could only answer to myself. My neighbor quickly pointed out to me all the great things I have to look forward to, and he pointed out the emptiness in his life, and I have never complained again. At the end of the day, to each their own. To each their own, for sure. Uh, But I think it was critical that we bring up this topic with so much research to indicate that this is, in fact, a health hazard. It's just not a matter of feelings and not, you know, feeling lonely and disconnected. That can be detrimental to your health on other levels, including Alzheimer's disease, cardiovascular issues, and, of course, depression, which is a, a huge issue. We got an email. I got an email here uh, from a gentleman. I'm not, he has asked to not use his name, so I need to remember that. And he says, he asked me to forward the article to him. He says, I'm 51, recently single, and concerned. Your conversation today hit home with what I have been thinking about the last few months. Working out only does so much for mental health. My kids are grown and gone. I have great friends, but they are all couples. So hanging out just doesn't happen often the weekends get very long. So I hope that uh, the article can help you out a little bit. And that's, I would imagine that's, you know, if you're in your 40s or your 50s and suddenly you're you're single, mm-hmm. what happens if all of your friends are couples? Sure. I know that that happened to me when I, a few years ago, I would get invited to couples homes. You know, we do couples things. And yep. once I was no longer in a couple, I haven't been to any other homes. Well, and sometimes you lose custody of the couple friends, right? Yes. <laughs> because the couple <laughs> friends might be more closely associated with your partner. Mm-hmm. And so when that relationship dissolves, now you're on the outside looking in, even though you may have made some really good connections with the dudes on the other side or the ladies on the other side. Uh, yeah, no, she brought you in, so you're out. <laughs> and that happens too, right? So we don't, there, there, that's another area where loneliness can sneak in. And again, the whole point of this article, I think, is to, it's to talk about how, like, I think we all have people we consider friends, whether it's people we see every day at work or maybe somebody we, we go, we go golfing with or I don't know. But we're, the article is talking about actual friendships and just to recall, to harken back to the, the Kyle Milroy joke that was made earlier, he said, a friend will help you move. A good friend will help you move a body. And we're talking about good friends and how guys in particular seem to be worse at maintaining those friendships over the years because life simply gets in the way. I want to read this uh, from Lee at 7806868 by text. I'm 66, lost my wife a couple of years ago, and adjusting to single life again has been very lonely. At times, even though I have children that I spend some time with. Interestingly, I have a very close male friend that I was speaking with yesterday. He is really suffering loneliness to the point of what seems like depression. He too is single for different reasons. Anyway, I'm not surprised at the article and fully intend to stay in touch with my buddy to prevent him from falling any deeper than he is now. Great topic and a good reminder. Thank you for that, Lee. Dave sent us a text earlier, and it's an interesting one that says the cause of the middle-aged loneliness is simple. Divorce usually comes after 20 years of marriage. Therefore, males have become domesticated. As in my case, I have no idea how to socialize anymore. Men are rent to run wild 
not domestication. So that that's I think he's going back to like I don't know if there is if he's an anthropologist or well, Doctor Cyrus does that all the time, as does Carolyn, right? That fight, uh, fight flight or freeze instinct, right? It, mm-hmm. it kind of guides us in a lot of ways. And if you go back far enough, lots of men have made the justification for their different uh, ways in life and to say, well, you know, we're not meant to, we're not meant to be with just one person. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I wonder how Bill Clinton would feel about that. <laughs> Sheila is at 204-780-6868. Hello, Sheila. What do you have to say? Hi. Um, well, I'm, I've been married for 30 years, but what I wanted to say is that having relationships outside of your immediate family is a deliberate effort you have to make. When our girls were growing up, what I did was every day of the month that was their birthday number, I would go out for coffee with them or do whatever they wanted to do. One would eat french fries, one would have ice cream. But now what I do, I have one very good friend that every month, within the first week of the month, we, one of us calls each other and we go out. So every 30 days we see each other, and if we didn't do that, if we didn't literally say, when that calendar page turns, I think of my friend, and we make a date. Good for you, Sheila. You're a good friend. You really well, are. You know, and, and she is to me too. But, I mean, if you don't do that, you know. Yes. Family, kids, parents, someone sick. It needs to you, be a priority. It has to be a priority. And for my mental health, we actually tell each other we are each other's counselors. <laughs> well, that's good. And, uh, uh, you know, we harken back to Carolyn Clausen. She's such a, a good guide for us. And, and she says exactly the same thing. You need that. You need to have someone outside the immediate circle. I wanted to ask you something before we let you go, though, Sheila. What about mm-hmm. your husband? Do you make sure your husband does similar things and has those same strategies in terms of keeping touch with somebody else uh, outside of your relationship. And, of course, you know, you know I'm talking funny, about buddies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing about him, he's retired now, but the funny thing about him, his need for that is probably a quarter of mine. So if he sees somebody every couple months, he's happy. He's mm. content. If he had to go out every 30 days with somebody, I think he would not be happy because <laughs> <laughs> he's not a talker. But I, I think as, a, as the, my man, anyways, he doesn't have the same need to socialize and visit and learn about their families as I do. Sheila, thanks for sharing that with us. We re- okay, pre- really appreciate it. This actually, and there's a part in this article by Billy Baker that, that sort of Sheila's uh, comment reminded me of where he reads, a few years ago, or where he writes, a few years ago, shortly after I'd moved from the city to Cape Ann on the North Shore, and this is, uh, again, an article in the Boston Globe, I took a kayaking class, run out of a shop in Essex. At some point, the man who owned the place, an older guy named Ozzy, said something in passing about how he couldn't do something because he had Wednesday night. Slightly confused, I asked him what he was talking about, and he explained an idea to me that was so simple and profound that I resolved one day to steal it when I got older. I think it's time to admit I'm there. Wednesday night, Ozzy explained, was a pact he and his buddies had made years before, a standing order that on Wednesday nights, if they were in town, they would get together and do something, anything. It's 2.16 on 680-CJOB. The conversation will continue in a moment, but if in case you've been waiting patiently, we have to do something right now. Uno, two, three, 680-CJOB's fly away to you, too. Your time to win is now. Anthony Grex 
You have five minutes to call 204-780-6868. Anthony Grex, 204-780-6868. The CJOB flyaway to you too. Yes, and uh, I'd love to go with you if you happen to be in a situation that you win this and you don't have a good friend. I'll be your good friend, much as many of you are offering to go to Jets games with me. I offer to go to Vancouver with you to see you too. We have a trip for two for you May 12th and the 13th. The sold out U2 concert takes place at BC Play Stadium on the 12th and you can win. Just go to cgob.com, enter your name, and then at 710 with Shadow, 1110 with Jeff, 210 or so with Greg and Brett, and 510 with Julie and Richard on the news, we will announce one name at each of those times, five a day. You'll have five minutes to call and to make sure that your name is on the list in the draw. March 31st, Shadow Davis will announce the final wi- winner out of the series and group of qualifiers. Get on it right now. You've got five minutes to call us now. Who's uh, our qualifier this hour, Brett? Once again, Anthony Grex. Anthony Grex, 204-780-6868. You have four minutes to give us a call if you want to go and see you two. Your forecast up next. You know, as many hands on deck as we have in the studio right now between the two of us, it's been just about impossible. (laughs) to keep up with all these fantastic text messages we've been receiving. We've sent out this article from uh, Mr. Bishop, Mr. Baker. See, it's throwing me off. Billy Baker, Billy Bishop. (laughs) Billy Bishop goes to war, right? The Canadian war hero. I have to read it every single time. That time I went off my memory, got it wrong. Billy Baker, Boston Globe. The headline, the biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity. It's loneliness. Many of you are relating to this, and we sent out the article, if you want it, Brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com and uh, your responses to this have been uh, absolutely mind-blowing in fact one listener says it's so true i am 53 and used to have tons of friends in my teens up to my late 20s now at age 53 i have trouble finding someone to go to jets games etc with me that is from dave dave thank you for that Cool topic, but I'm heading into a meeting. I've been single, never, ever married. I'm 54 this year. I'm awesome and really enjoying being sing- being single. I'm not less, but more of everything. What is marriage other than having a mate to breed with? Yuck. There's more than <laughs> enough people on earth already. I do understand the hug thing. After a while of no physical contact, I'm not ever comfortable with all this touching by people. Hugging is a little uncomfortable for me to give or receive. I'll have to finish listening tonight and you can do so on the audio vault or uh, we podcast as well. Uh, there's a twist from the same texter, Brett. Just mm. recently, I've met a very nice lady who's interested in me in that potential mate way. It's a bit to get used to being alone for so long. 224 on 680 CJOB. There are a whole bunch of texts. Did you read this one from Lee? I, think, I can't remember if we yes, read this. Yes, I did. You did read the yes, text I did. from Lee? Yeah, okay. yeah, it was a good one. It's no wonder you wanted to read it again. Yes. I don't blame you. <laughs> uh, Michael. Hi, Michael. Welcome back. Uh, men simply feel left behind with everybody else having support system at the ready. Is it any wonder that guys feel gutted? 
Uh, I think it's a really good point. Uh, women are really good as, was it Sheila who called in? And uh, she highlighted the fact that, you know, she makes it a point mm-hmm. to spend some quality time with a special friend of hers every single month when that calendar flips. That's her cue to call that individual and schedule their next get together. And I think, we, well, clearly the article says we slip away from that as men. It's not everyone, but on a whole, that's the pattern. And and the warning is we need to break that. Otherwise, we're going to make ourselves sick, quite literally, uh, from loneliness. And that can turn into different issues in terms of cardiovascular health, our brain health with Alzheimer's disease and, of course, depression. We got a text here from somebody who says, no wife, no kids, no problem, because I'm unburdened as a result, and so able to pursue and maintain friendships. Life is full of trade-offs and compromises, so I should recognize the upside of being a singleton, and this is one of the big ones. And more on this article, again, by Billy Baker from the Boston Globe, and he points out that uh, he, he also references his wife, says his wife will go out of her way to talk to her friends and can talk to her friends on the phone. Whereas guys, I don't know what you're like on the phone, Greg, but I mm. get five minutes is too much. Yeah. Uh, because of, I have two buddies uh, so far away. There's one, him and I don't talk on the phone. It's all text or yeah. email. My other buddy uh, in, in Vernon, we talk on the phone every single day, sometimes a half an hour a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, we, uh, we like to catch each other. It just works out when I'm going home, he's usually on his way to a sales call and we managed to sneak in a half hour that way. I would say at least three times a week, but it's different. I, you know, cause he's way out there. Uh, it's a little bit different and great conversation. Great article. Thank you, uh, Billy Baker. If you want to get your hands on it, pass it along. Maybe you want to use it as reference material in your conversation with your loved one tonight or over the next several days, we can happily send it to you or just, just Google Billy Baker, Boston Globe, the biggest threat facing middle-aged men is loneliness. I guess we have to take a pause, and uh, Brett McGarry is going to slide into the news booth and get us up to date on global news. And uh, then what happens at 2.30 is a little bit of a mystery, but for sure Christian O'Mell <laughs> will come in and give us an update as to what's happening at the Manitoba Legislature. It's Greg and Brett. Hope you're having a fantastic Monday afternoon. 2.34, one more time, thank you so much for getting in touch on this conversation we had for the first half of the program. Brett, you and I uh, sometimes are uneasy about scheduling uh, a talk item for more than a half an hour. This one went an hour and a half because of the unprecedented response uh, from you, the listener. We want to thank you for that. And if you want the article, I've just sent it out three more times in in the last uh, oh, five, six minutes here while you were delivering the news. So if you'd like it, Brett at CGOB.com or GMAC at CGOB.com from Billy Baker, the biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity it's loneliness and we had a text message that said uh, real quick uh, you know this isn't about being single right this is about losing your friends and that really is a big big part of it christian omel joining us in studio now a big big day down at the legislature yes uh probably not as big a day as april 11th but there are some things and that's budget day by the way there were some things that we were looking forward to hearing about one of those things the public services sustainability act it has a lot of people nervous are they a little less nervous now that the bill has been read in the legislative assembly i think 
yes would be the short answer to that. There's no wage cuts or no unpaid days off. Pensions will not be affected. So the bill is basically a four-year plan. The first two years, the wage will freeze on union and non-union members, about 120,000 employees. Uh, following the expiration of current collective agreements is when this starts. So that third year will have a max increase of 0.75%. The fourth year will have a max increase of 1%. This will, again, apply to pretty much all public sector employees except judges and justices of the peace. Uh, Cam Friesen today explaining that he's also encouraging employers and unions to jointly find ongoing cost savings, which can be returned to Manitoba citizens. Part of this, too, is the Health Sector Bargaining Unit Review Act. Uh, the government has said a number of times that they think there are too many separate bargaining units. Mm-hmm. There are 182 in Manitoba, 113 in Winnipeg alone. The number they want to get to is below 50. So a big decrease there. Uh, they figure that will improve patient care and lower administration costs. So they're going to appoint a commissioner to oversee that restructuring. And also we're hearing about potentially making the way for paving the way for Uber. Yes. So this so-called local vehicles for hire act will pretty much uh, get rid of the taxi cab act and dissolve the taxi cab board. Oh my. And it will put the power in municipalities to create bylaws to enable ride sharing companies like Uber to operate. Uh, they've put a date on this of February 28th of next year for this legislation to come into effect. It can come in sooner, though, if the city of Winnipeg is ready. So once this passes, essentially, it's in Winnipeg's hands at that point. The other big topic of discussion and concern had to do with university funding and Mm -hmm. the, I guess, the dissolving of the mandate for universities to hold the line on university tuitions at a certain rate. Right. So it was at inflation. I believe there was an inflation cap. That's gone now it's inflation plus a maximum of 5% per year for increases. Now, the education minister, Ian Wishart, says this will still keep tuition rates in Manitoba as the lowest in Western Canada. They said there's just too much red tape with administration costs, and this is what they call a more flexible formula to control tuition hikes. Obviously, they're still going to go up a little bit more. And if you're a student, that's not what you want to be hearing. If you're in high school, that's not what you want to be hearing. If you're a parent of somebody that's about to go to university, you don't really like how that sounds. But uh, as they say, they're still lower in Manitoba than they will be in other provinces in the Western Canada. So we were anticipating, I think, up to eight bills today. Right. Those are the main ones. There are some other ones that deal with uh, some elections identification stuff. There's uh, one dealing with language of older bills to go through and fix some typographical stuff. Um, but these are the the focuses of a lot of Manitobans, especially the first two that I, we talked about, the public services one and the bargaining unit one, because there's been so much made about what this government is going to be doing to control costs in terms of especially the health care. And so far we have an indication and then three weeks from now we'll get the budget to see more of what their fiscal plan is. Christian O'Mell, Global News, thank you so much for taking some time with us this afternoon to get us the very latest on the happenings at the Manitoba Legislature. I want to thank our guests waiting patiently on the line as we did some local housekeeping. We want to switch gears to something we talked about last week, new numbers released by Manitoba Public Insurance, showing that drivers are getting behind the wheel while high. 
One in ten Manitoba drivers tested positive for drugs, according to newly released results from the roadside check stop survey. 53% of drivers with drugs in their systems tested positive for cannabis. So this caught the attention of someone named Pamela McColl, who is with a group called Smart Approaches to Marijuana Canada, and she now joins us live on 680 CJOB, along with Dr. Phil Drum, who is a researcher in California who helped to compile 2014 and 2015 Fatality Analysis Reporting System data in Washington State, where marijuana is legal. So thank you so much to the both of you for joining us. Pamela, I want to start with you. Um, this organization that you're involved with, Smart Approaches to Marijuana Canada, tell us a little bit about that. Well, sure. We got started in 2014, uh, a group of doctors and lawyers and judges and RCMP and all kinds of people and academics from uh, different research fields who decided that Canadians were not receiving the information or having the discussion they deserved, that the medical profession had very much been spooked because of politics and weren't speaking out enough. And uh, so we organized ourselves and we met in, in Ottawa with 54 MPs and and we've been to the United Nations several times and, and working with international partners on the drug issue. And, and we're doing everything we can to bring the science of the day and the evidence of the day, including around drug driving, to the prime minister and, and his cabinet and every other elected official. And I reached out to you because I was so impressed by your minister of justice willing to step into this conversation and I would say lead the way in Canada to call for more protection for the public and also I had a letter from the Premier of Saskatchewan yesterday, and, you know, a lot of people are very concerned, including him, about the costs of marijuana to our society, including health care costs. And uh, Dr. Phil Drum, who was on the line as well, did some uh, amazing analysis of the costs of fatalities uh, due to drug drivers in this country, and, and the, the amount um, will wipe out many times over any potential tax revenue. And Dr. Drum, thank you for uh, hanging on while we uh, introduce Pamela uh, to our audience. And, and now it's your opportunity to talk a little bit about this cost of drugged driving, because that is genuinely one of the reasons held up as uh, the impetus for bringing forward marijuana legalization legislation, whether it's across Canada or in different states across the United States, it's the justification of look at all the tax revenue we're missing out on. Well, it comes with a price. And just like uh, tobacco and alcohol, um, it's looking kind of towards that for every $1 in tax you receive, you spend $10 um, as a result of, of the damages done by those products. Um, just to relate, um, there was a Department of Transportation in the United States um, estimation done in, in 2010 that looked at the total cost of a driving fatality, and that amount was $1.4 million per driving fatality, and that's in 2010 costs. The total costs that they looked at were the loss of um, the work um, and dollars being uh, able to be brought in by that family member that's now dead, um, the cost of hospitalization, the hospital, uh, the cost of legal uh, of the the legal de department being involved, the cost of you know damage to pro uh, to your car and other other items, and so for each driving fatality they estimated 1.4 million dollars, and so the state of Colorado proudly. 
um, responded in, 2010, in 2015 that they had taken in $125 million in tax revenue. It ranged between $125 to $128 million in tax revenue from the marijuana industry, which I might add is going to decrease by 20% this year. They've already passed legislation. The marijuana industry helped them in reducing the, the taxation now from $10 per ounce down to $8. So a 20% reduction in taxation is going to begin July 1st of 2017. So instead of making $125 million, they're going to be making 80% less than that. And the co- they had 115 marijuana driving deaths in 2015. So 115 times 1.4, actually, if you, you probably should take into account because those are $2010, probably a 3 or 4% increase per year. You're probably looking at more of a $1.6 million per driving fatality. Multiply that times 115 deaths. That's $180 million um, due to the driving fatalities alone in Colorado. Dr. Drum, a lot of people would suggest, and I might not be or I may be one of those, uh, that would suggest that these fatalities and people are going to get behind the wheel uh, under the influence of marijuana, regardless of whether it is legal or not. Is there any evidence to prove that legalization leads to more consumption and people who might otherwise not consume marijuana uh, to try it? Yes, um, the data has shown that. Um, the data shows that there is an increased, um, use, uh, increased death rate in non-legalized states compared to medical marijuana states compared to recreational marijuana states. So between non-legal states and some sort of legalized state, whether it be medical or recreational, there's a 25% increase in the number of fatalities between non-legalized and legalized. And again, because our state's so close, the reality is we're also watching in horror as the non-legalized states are increasing in their marijuana driving fatalities as well. We're going to continue our conversation on this in a moment. We do need to pause and have a look at your forecast. On the line with us, we have Pamela McColl, who is with Smart Approaches to Marijuana Canada, and Dr. Phil Drum, who is a researcher in California. Pamela's in British Columbia. Dr. Phil Drum is in California. He is a researcher who helped to compile 2014-2015 uh, fatality analysis reporting system data in Washington State on the subject of marijuana and driving. And I want to actually ask about what time of day these fatalities are happening after your forecast on 680-CJOB. I'm Brett. He is Greg. We are talking about marijuana and driving, drugged driving. And we have two people on the line with us. We have Pamela McColl, who is with Smart Approaches to Marijuana Canada. And we have Dr. Phil Drum, who is a researcher in California. He has helped. He's done extensive analysis of using marijuana and driving, and particularly on the subject of fatalities. And Dr. Drum, one of the things that jumped out at me is why I wanted to talk to you folks, is when these fatalities are happening. So what is the peak period where people involved in marijuana-related fatalities on the road are occurring? Well, uh, the peak time in the United States appears to be um, during rush hour traffic, um, the four hours from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, in the evening time are the, the appear to be peak hours. We also see a couple 
uh, hours of peaking in the morning between 6 to 8 a.m. So it appears that the uh, majority of the marijuana driving fatalities are occurring during rush hour traffic, if you will, on the way going to work and on the way after leaving work. So, Pamela, if we tie this back to the research that was released by MPI, 10% of Manitoba drivers tested positive for drugs. First of all, those were all willing participants. They volunteered. They were asked to participate and did. Many that participated knew that they'd consumed drugs of some sort and may come back positive, but they did it for the sake of science, I suppose, or, or of this survey. So that means we can assume there were many that declined to participate and the other thing that jumps out at me now is the fact that this was done in conjunction with the check stop program, which would be done much later in the evening, not at four, between four and 8 p.m., essentially in the afternoon to early evening, but late in the evening. So these results, as uh, maybe horrifying as they are for many people, may be much, much worse based on those two things alone. Right, and uh, one thing that Dr. John discovered, too, was that the peak in fatalities for alcohol happened between 12 a.m. and 4 a.m. So, I mean, that's the police may be out there at the wrong time of day. So I think that Dr. Drum's uh, research is incredibly important. And I think that it's also you know, really, really important that we understand that Canadian youth do not understand the dangers of using drugs and driving. They well, do not. And well, that's the biggest risk. Well, that was going to be my, ne- my next question to you. What do Canadian kids think about driving and marijuana? Well, the Canadian Centre on Substance Abuse that we as taxpayers fund, they have 50 full-time employees with an entire building in Ottawa. They spend their lives researching what kids think and and other Canadians about drug use. So um, we should take their data because we're paying for it. They're saying that the youth that they've studied say that it makes you a better driver, increases your focus, and is far less dangerous than the use of alcohol. But we're seeing a prevalence, a rise in the use of marijuana and other drugs while driving and a decline in alcohol. So we're going in the wrong direction on drugs, that's for sure. Well, and something else in your note to us here, Pamela, that's a little bit startling and and maybe frightening at the same time is the willingness of individuals to use cannabis, marijuana, whatever you'd like to prefer to call it. They don't mind, or at least it would indicate that they don't seem to mind using marijuana while at the workplace, a startling statistic with regard to deaths in the forestry industry in British Columbia, I'm sure can be used as a litmus test for just that 30% of the deaths in the forestry industry uh, were attributed to those using cannabis and the grand total for those using alcohol, zero. I know. Isn't that just a, a startling statistic? Here's one thing I really wanted to share with you. So for any youth out there who thinks that it's safe to drive, um, the Canadian National Study of Fatally Injured Drivers reported that between 2000 and 2010, a total of 20,485 drivers died in motor, in motor vehicle accidents. Of drivers who died within six hours of the crash, 33.7 tested positive for, for one or more psychoactive drugs, which is marijuana. Half of them were marijuana. People are dying from motor vehicle accidents because someone got behind the wheel of a car drugged. And only one-third are the drivers. The people who are being killed are the pedestrians and passengers, people on bicycles. You know, but it's not just driving under the influence and getting behind a car. It's riding a bike. It's doing anything that endangers other people that people need to really pay attention to. And I agree with you. In the workplace, um, pretty scary statistics out there. All right, Pamela McCall, we're going to have to leave it there. I'm afraid the clock has us, but we want to thank... 
Pamela with Smart Approaches to Marijuana Canada, and Dr. Philip Drum, who is a researcher in California who has looked at road fatalities across the United States. And he's one of his big findings, again, the top four-hour period for marijuana alone fatal crashes was 4 to 8 p.m. So people getting off work, lighting up a joint, driving home, and whereas alcohol-related crashes tend to happen between midnight and 4 a.m. So we want to thank Pamela and Dr. Drum for their time today and for bringing us some important information on this subject as Canada gets ready to legalize marijuana. It is 2.57 on 680 CJOB. Global News up next. I'm Brett, he's Greg, and this is where we have kind of, not really intentionally, but this has sort of become our prize corner. I was going to say prize corner as well. Oh, really? How about that? Okay. We're reading each other's minds wow. yet again. It happened in the newsroom today. It was hilarious. In fact, it turned out being about the piece that we did for the first half of the program today. So many of you responded. We've had emails, text messages, calls uh, about that article from the Boston Globe from Billy Baker about loneliness being a huge threat to uh, men's health long term. And yeah, you said, so you want to run that Billy Baker thing? And I was just clicking on it to listen <laughs> to the uh, to the audio with Ryan Jesperson at 630 Ched to reacquaint myself with the story. And uh, there you were asking about it. So yes, prize corner it is. That's a long way around to saying, hey, we're really in sync, aren't we? <laughs> just uh, want to give you a heads up here before we go into the prize corner. Uh, I see there's a snow squall warning for uh, spots not far from Winnipeg, Selkirk, Gimli, Stonewall, Woodlands, and then further west, uh, Brandon, Nipawa, Carberry, Treehern, uh, St. Rose, McCreary, Alonza, Gladstone, and Arburg, Hecla, Fisher River, Gypsumville, and Ashern. A snow squall. Squall warning. It's a difficult Can you word to define say. a snow squall? I was thinking about that. Is it? It sounds is it not wind, pleasant. Is it wind-generated uh, uh, ground snow? Basically, that's kind of turning into like a little mini, not a tornado, but certainly it's, like a like a, a the ground snow being kicked up by the wind. It's a, a snow squall is a sudden, moderately heavy snowfall with blowing snow and strong, gusty surface wind. It is often referred to as a whiteout and is similar to a blizzard, but it's localized in time or in location and snow accumulations may or may not be significant. So it comes from the sky. It's not coming from the ground. Yeah, it's just uh, like a short burst snowstorm. Interesting. Okay. So it's six degrees in Winnipeg and we're talking about snow squall warnings in and around southern Manitoba. Fascinating. Yeah. Don't you love living here? (laughs) It's the best. Minus 17 tonight. Hey, we have stuff to give away. Double pass for the advanced screening on March 29th at Silver City Polo Park for the zookeeper's wife. Thousands of people are dying. The littlest of children. We have room. We could hide them. Bring as many as you can. Based on a true story, Jessica Chastain plays the zookeeper's wife, when things get bad in Poland, she uses her zoo in Warsaw to hide Jews from the Nazis. Obviously a very heavy subject, but we still want to have fun while we do this trivia stuff. And we might eventually switch up what we're doing here for trivia, but we had another listener suggestion last week for crappy 80s TV trivia, and I like it. 
So I'm going to go with it. And unfortunately, this precludes this person from winning, but he won last week already. So appreciate that. Is it our friend Greg? Yeah, it's our friend Greg. Yeah. Uh, today's question. In the early 1980s, there were two shows about helicopters. I want you to name those two shows. And I need you to tell me which one was canceled first. There were now you're saying there were only two shows about helicopters. I'm amazed that there were that many. Yeah, that you could just describe that way. Two helicopter shows going head to head in the early '80s. What were those shows, and which one was canceled first? Two hundred four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. So while we're waiting for that, I want to thank. Uh, we had well, uh, Greg referenced the, the the number of text messages and calls that we got on our subject from Billy Baker from the Boston Globe about loneliness. Also, want to thank everybody for the feedback on our segment that we did at uh, two two thirty uh, regarding marijuana. You know, we did some interesting research about the number of fatalities, road fatalities linked to marijuana use, which was sent our way. In response to the news last week that MPI had released its survey results and showed that, you know, a fair amount of people were, had marijuana in their system. So naturally, we got a whole bunch of text messages from people on the other side. And we didn't have an agenda. We just, this, we we found it was Mm -hmm, interesting. mm -hmm. We were hoping that it would create a conversation, which it has. And a lot of people texting us about this research and saying, well, hang on, this research doesn't prove the test MPI didn't prove they were high at the time of driving, saying that if you smoke weed, it can stay in your system for a long time. So maybe you have a joint two days ago and it might still be in your in your system. Well, how about this as an example? Just think you were at a rock concert, this from one of our loyal listeners, just think you were at a rock concert and you were exposed to secondhand cannabis and even though you didn't feel the effects, there's a good chance there's enough to show up on a test and you get pulled over a week later and get a DUI. I bet you'd be very upset. The test results are a waste of tax money. At this point, they sure made themselves look stupid, if you ask me. Both sides need to be smart about this and go with the facts, not the propaganda that come with it. And we've pledged to look into the various testing that is available. Is this the type of testing that was used on the MPI survey, this DNA DNA testing that they used? Uh, I would like some answers on that as well, because if we're being fed propaganda, quote-unquote, uh, to to justify certain things, uh, that doesn't make me happy. You know, if there's no test that's been agreed upon that works and, you know, is more of an immediate, uh, immediate sense of what's going on, I, I want to know about that. So we're going to dig into that. And, uh, and I, when I, I laughed at first. My initial reaction was, propaganda! That's the text message that right, came in. Right. Propaganda! <laughs> Exclamation mark times four. <laughs> and I knew that that's, anytime we say anything negative about marijuana, we always right. get those. And it's sort of, like, this is a playful text, I'd like to think, and I appreciate that. And I hope it doesn't sound like we're just, we're pushing any sort of propaganda or agenda. But... It does raise some concerns and some curiosities at the very least. So we're going to try to continue to look into this because it's an important conversation that we need to have as, you know, we get ready for things to change right. in Canada as it, as it pertains to marijuana. I'm a Luddite. 
as it pertains to marijuana because I've never tried it. Mm-hmm. I have no interest in trying it, w- whether it's legal or illegal. So I, I have zero skin in the game on this one. So I, I'd like to have all the facts, and I want to know if I'm being fibbed to as well. So we will dig a little deeper. Kristen Fuse, congratulations. Darn it! I did what? it again. What did you do? I, I, I'm seeing the name Kirsten, and I say Kristen. This happened last week. I'm sure she's used to it. Uh, even 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 women with the name uh, Kirsten get Kirsten, uh, Kristen. Yeah, the, trust me, they're used to it. Well, Brent. Just, yeah, yeah, well, that. Right? I'm, just, I'm having a, it's been a rough few days. I can't read, it's Greg. Okay, it's okay. It's Kirsten okay. Fuse. <laughs> it must be rubbing off for me to you. <laughs> I apologize. Kirsten Fuse is today's winner for the passes for the zookeeper's wife. Again, that's happening March 29th at Silver City Polo Park. And she was able to successfully answer today's crappy 80s TV trivia question. In the early 1980s, there were two shows about helicopters. What are those two shows, and which one was cancelled first? So the answer... You remember that? I know the song, but I don't know what it is. Airwolf! Debuted in January of 1984. Also in January of 1984, Blue Thunder debuted on a different network, and Blue Thunder was the one that got cancelled first. It got cancelled 11 episodes in... And Airwolf was actually pretty cool, and it was on for four seasons. It just one of the best theme songs ever. Very I good. love this music. So <laughs> congratulations, Kirsten, for correctly identifying that Blue Thunder is the crappy 80s show that was canceled. Well, this show is not crappy, but had a helicopter, Magnum P.I., right? Yeah. TC had the helicopter. Oh, and yes. uh, didn't the A team? Didn't they have access to a to a helicopter as well? Oh, probably. Yeah, I wouldn't have got either of those. So good on <laughs> Kirsten for that. Three forty eight on six eighty CJOB. Traffic, weather, and Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham tee up the news. All up next. Traffic and weather together for the Club Region Event Center presenting Dixie's Tupperware Party, not your grandmother's Tupperware Party. June 9th. Tickets available through Ticketmaster. Visit casinosofwinnipeg.com for details. Is that our official invitation to Dixie's grandma's Tupperware party? Or is it just It's not Dixie's? your grandmother's Tupperware oh, party. Oh, it's not. Yeah. It's just Dixie's Tupperware party. Although, nothing against your grandmother's Tupperware party. My grandma's Tupperware makes is fine. Great, <laughs> ma- makes great dainties. <laughs> great tasty sandwiches. I'm not sure it's about Tupperware. Oh, do you know a little bit about yeah. this play, this event, Richard? I don't want to go there. No. Let's, uh, hi, Julie and hi. Richard. What's coming up on the news today? Lots of legislation yes. being introduced. We'll break it down for you and what it means, um, including ride-sharing services and what that all means. Essentially, the government of Manitoba saying, here, Winnipeg, you do it. Among our guests, Mayor Brian Bowman will join us. Also, Todd McKay, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, will take a look at some of the legislation that that came before um, the House today. And it, it's, it was, shall we say, a busy one in the legislature. Absolutely. Well, the Public Services Sustainability Act had a lot of people nervous. Richard, did it achieve expectations or uh, did it quell some fears? Well, I think we've always said all along that governments of any political stripe will put something out there that will put the fear into people that uh, they're going to introduce uh, furlough days, etc. That's not happening here. It's uh, zero and zero, but retroactive to last April. So we're already 
into your second of this with uh, 0.75 and then a 1% wage increase in three and four. Of course, the unions are upset about this because they were hoping to achieve this through collective bargaining as opposed to legislation. So we'll hear from the the various groups in that, including the Manitoba Nurses Union. Their contract is up at the end of March. And uh, when you look at health care, uh, eats up a lot of budget. They're also in this reducing, making the commitment to reduce from, to at least fewer than 50 bargaining contracts, which is very difficult to do. But um, that's going forward. And, of course, uh, the tuition freeze. That's going to be a big one. Uh, Students obviously not uh, happy about that. And we'll also have the president of the University of Manitoba on the fact that the tuition freeze is being lifted by this government. But it is skillful in the sense that what they're saying is it'll still be the lowest in Western Canada. Mm -hmm. And it has to be that way under this proposed legislation. So we're always comparing ourselves to other provinces so politically, this is very crafty in what they've done today. And of course, they're also introducing the uh, legislation to crack down on those who are drugged and driving. We'll get reaction Which, to that. Which, of course, we just had a conversation about and uh, are interacting with many listeners on the science uh, behind testing and drugged driving. So that's probably a topic that's not going away any time soon. Are you giving anything away before we let you run? We are. Home and garden tickets. Nice. Uh, four packs up for grabs. So created a little sound effect for that one. And we'll have our musicologist, Ellen Cross, join us to talk about Bob Dylan coming to Winnipeg. Fantastic. Richard Cluche, Julie Buckingham, the news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. Thanks to Jeff Fortier and Master Control. Thank you, Greg Mackling. And thank you for listening to Mackling and McGarry and for all of your feedback. And we will continue. We're going to try to continue the, the marijuana conversation tomorrow. Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.